Hello, this is Saul Gonzalez, lead pastor of Lifehouse Church, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I believe that through this message, God will encourage you, challenge you, and better yet, change you for the glory of God and for the purposes God has called you. Enjoy this message. Um, we want to, at this moment, we want to just uh, take a moment to um, um, invite and uh, receive all the, um, our, our, um, those uh, of, of that fellowship with us, all our friends and family that are online and that are right now tuning in. Would you help me and receive them with a clap offering? Uh, all those of you online, welcome, welcome to Lifehouse. We, we pray that this ministry and this message ministers to you in Jesus' name. We've been speaking and talking about making gratitude a lifelong attitude. Gratitude a lifelong attitude. And I, I'm so um, just encouraged by seeing so many young men and, and young girls and women here today. I'm, I'm encouraged because you are the future uh, and the hope of this country and the future of the church. Um, and many, many ways you are already the church. Our children are already the church. How many say amen? Uh, so we don't need to let time unfold. We need to just see time come back and we need to see our children and our, and our, and our grandchildren we need to see them the way God sees them. And the reason I felt this week, uh, just a shift in my heart, and, and we are going to continue to speak of, of, of making gratitude a lifelong uh, attitude. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be asking you to open your Bibles or your copy of the Word of God um, uh, in your different um, just uh, technology that you have, your phones or what you have or your Bible, uh, to the second book of, of uh, Kings, chapter 6. Uh, the last Sundays have been really, really powerful, and 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 God has been so uh, present here. But I'm going to shift a little bit to a more of a, a sobriety. I'm going to ask that there be sanguineness, uh, the sanguined, that everybody be more sanguine, more warm-blooded. That's what it means about today's message, and that you're not here by coincidence. No one is here by coincidence. I believe that this is a more of a heavy a message for everybody, all generations. Uh, that is going to lead us to a much more powerful, well, no, uh, 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 just a, a continuation, part one and part two, about the four lepers at the gate of Samaria. They know and they sense that if we stay here, we die. If we go back to the city, we die. If we move from where we are, we might die. We might die if we move. But we know one thing, that if we don't move, we're dead for sure. And so they decided to venture. That story has a context. It has a context about the city of Samaria being sieged, being besieged. They're under siege. They're surrounded by this greater army, the Assyrians, and they're uh, surrounded. Something happens within that city that troubles my heart that I want to share with every parent, every grandparent, and every young uh, man and young woman that is single. You're thinking of, being, of, of becoming married, or you're married, recently married, and I'd like to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to all of us uh, uh, about just things or, or important principles, spiritual principles that I feel that the Holy Spirit put in my heart. So the, the title of this message is the gratitude shares the good news. Gratitude shares the good news. That's because that's the clincher of this message uh, next Sunday, if you will. This Sunday, I want to talk about warfare. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. I want to talk about people's hearts, families, marriages, children, um, um, church that is that are be, that are under siege or we're under attack, and most of us 
no longer discern. Most, most of us are no longer aware. You feel the oppression. You feel the sadness. Some people are like depressed and they don't even know why. Some, some of us feel like our home is heavy and, and we are missing the, the, the root causes. You think it's normal and, and it's not. It's not normal for there to be dissension and dysfunction and duress uh, and heaviness and just tension in relationships and, and or this division uh, that, that is, this chasm that is beginning to open in many, many a home, not just between husband and wife, but between husband or, or between father and son or mother and daughters and sons. Um, this, this, this distancing where we love our grandkids, but we can't tolerate our own kids. Okay, amen. So, so I, I, I know I'm going somewhere because God spoke this message to my heart. Uh, and, and I want to just share it today. I, uh, I want to be faithful to God. And I want to share this. Um, and so I'd like for you to begin with me. If you're up there, um, Gratitude Shares, the good news is the title that I put. But that'll be the end of this message next week. Uh, in 2 Kings, book 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, it says thusly, that, that King Ben-Hadab uh, of Aram, mustered his army and besieged Samaria. Verse 25, as a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of, of dove's dung, a dung, a cup of, do, of dove's dung, dung sold for five pieces of silver. Uh, I want to stop there. If you're up there and if you catch up with the, the verses uh, that would be awesome. Uh, I wanted to start first uh, I, I, where, I, where I put here that the wages of and the sting of sin, the wages and the sting of sin are not remotely worth the fleeting and the futile pleasures of sin. I want to I share that again, that the wages and the sting of sin are never even remotely worth worth the fleeting pleasures or the futile, futile pleasures that sin beguiles us. There's something in all of us, in our flesh, in our weakness, our, our fallen nature, uh, in our fallen world, that the enemy somehow convinces all of us, especially young men and young ladies, that if you cater to your flesh, if you say yes to your flesh and you engage in sinful desires and sinful acts, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that somehow you will be immune, that somehow the consequences will not catch up to you up there if you, if you help me and if you find those notes, I, I'd be awesome, um, that you are somehow, uh, you're, you don't have to give an account like others are. And please bear with me that just because the consequences of sin are delayed, the consequences of our foibles, of our failures, of our sins, maybe you have not even, you have not seen them. But don't confuse delay of consequences like with God's uh, okay with it, like God's approval. Um, um, the Bible says that the wages of sin are still death. The wages of sin are dearth. That means famine. The wages of sin lead to destruction. That's, that's what you get when somebody um, willingly or, or, or haphazardly uh, walks into practices sin, any kind of sin, especially the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, uh, and um, the uh, pride, uh, sins that have to do with pride. The Bible says that the soul that sinneth, that sins, 
that soul, that, those feelings, those emotions will die. You are, all of us, you are a spirit with a soul in a body. You are a spirit, that's your identity. You have a soul, that means you have intellect, you have emotions, you have feelings, and that's where the devil dwells. He, he wants to work in your soul. He wants to um, come in and stain your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about others, and especially what you think about God uh, in a body. That's who we are. The Bible says that whoever hides their sin, tries to, to basically sin and run away, sin and not confront it, sin and not confess, uh, that person um, shall never prosper. That person that hides instead of confronting and confessing sin. Uh, what happens is that you won't prosper because you'll get deeper and deeper in your sin and sin beguiles. Especially, it'll beguile. It'll, it'll confuse you. It'll deceive you because you keep sinning and nothing bad happens immediately. You're, you're engaging in this aberrant behavior. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. You're being unfaithful. You're fornicating. You're adultering. Uh, you're engaged in pornography. You're, you're moving toward your fleshly desires. You are lying at your work. You are taking things that are not yours. And nothing seems, nothing bad seems to befall you at least yet. And, and I want to remind you, just because your consequences have not caught up means that they won't. Uh, because the Bible says that you can never run so fast from sin that your sins will catch up to you. That's what the Bible says. That there's nothing hidden. That your sins will catch up to you sooner or later. And what they, when they do, um, it, it, is, uh, it is horrendous. It is destructive. It, is, it destroys relationships and it destroys marriages and it destroys uh, you know, the potential or the, the calling or that God has for your life. Um, the Bible says that whoever hides their sin shall not prosper, but this is what happens when you confess it. And then you turn from your sin that you shall receive mercy. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And right about every time I see the sun go up, I thank God for new mercies, for a fresh reset for my life, and I thank God. How many say amen for a fresh reset? Young man or young lady, so that you don't have to dwell in your past, so that you don't have to drag it. Once you confess it, once you turn from it, you don't have to live and drag your past or have it drag you down. And I'd like for, um, in this scripture passage that we just read, we find that the city of Samaria is besieged by God's enemies and many internal frenemies. I'll say that again. It's not, uh, you know, endemic with me, but I, I heard it somewhere and I'd like to, anyway, you're surrounded by enemies, but there is internal frenemies, people that pretend to be your friends, but that are really your enemies. So God's people, many a home, many a marriages, many of young men and young ladies, they already find themselves, you're already surrounded, whether you realize it or not. Um, and we're facing a great and powerful army, the, the basically the, the, um, the principalities that are against you, powers and, and uh, spirits that are in the air. The Bible says that none of us war, none of us are engaged in a war uh, against flesh and blood. But the reality is that we, all of us are engaged in spiritual warfare against principalities, powers and spirits that are in the air that are coming against you like darts, like fiery darts, temptation, lies that the enemy tries to implant in your mind emotional duress and, and um, discontent and the lies that the enemy tries to have you believe. And uh, that we're all facing a powerful 
forces, powerful forces that encamp themselves. Then, then they, they are embedded and then they entrench themselves outside the walls of Samaria in this story, outside your walls and your lifestyles in a war, in a war footing, if you will, to conquer, in this case, the city and its inhabitants. Uh, but Samaria, its king, its leadership, and even the prophet Elijah, the prophet is there himself. And they were also facing a more sinister and a more deadly foe from within. So they knew that the Assyrians were outside and had surrounded them. But inside, there are other forces that are working that are more, much more nefarious and much more deadly than the Assyrians. There is a clear and present danger that all of us must be aware that you can sometimes even smell the stench, uh, the stench and the menace. You already sense the forces uh, inside you, your mind, uh, especially in the area of lust, in the area of, of being unnerved, of anger, of demonstrations, of, of having insomnia, being nervous, uh, being sickly, uh, not having peace, um, understanding or beginning to feel anxious. Um, many young people, even young people or adults, uh, have uh, panic attacks and they don't understand what's happening in my body or, or in my life or in my relationships and my emotions. There is the menace and the stench of dearth, uh, which means famine and, and depravity. That means you're losing your moral compass, uh, death, spiritual death in your relationships and your relationship with God. And that will lead always to desperation. That is what was happening inside the city of Samaria. Um, the Syrians are a type of evil or the devil and his minions. Uh, the goal was to engage God's people um, in the worst kind of warfare. And that's the war of attrition, the war of attrition, a siege, if you will. A siege is in essence, the war of attrition. It's a type of warfare where little by little you lose your hope. It's not a war that is won and lost overnight. The war of attrition is a long war. It is a little by little, step by step, a slip by slip, a broken state by broken state. Uh, one deception follows the other disappointment. And then pretty soon you find yourself uh, desperate and without hope. A war of attrition is a battle or a fight where no arrows are sped. That's what happens in a siege. Uh, no spears are launched, no swords are drawn, no blood is shed. A war where the besieged, the people inside, are not even given uh, the dignity of a fair fight or, a, or given a puncher's chance of winning a lopsided fight. Worse yet, a war of attrition or a war where the besieged city, where you're surrounded, uh, is at first stealthily surprised, then surreptitiously surrounded, then slowly strangled, uh, to suffer a slow, demoralizing, debilitating death where the people first turn on each other like families do or like in church. They, we turn on each other. Then we turn, they turned on their leadership. Just you'll read the story. I'm going to read it to you right now. Uh, and they turn on their leadership. Then they turn against God. They blame God for what's happening. Uh, and then finally they turn to their captors seeking relief and seeing the captors as their deliverers and their saviors. Let me take a moment just to have that rewind one more time. When the city is besieged, uh, at the beginning they unite and they, they stand together and says, we're going to face this together. Like when calamity uh, comes to a family, when a, when a crisis comes to a church or a family, we, we kind of, our first impulse is we're, we're together. 
then as it becomes drawn out, the longer something happens, the longer you keep waiting for God, the longer something is not happening in your favor, you begin to lose hope. You begin to look for scapegoats. Uh, We begin to turn on each other. Family members begin to be critical of each other. Husband and wife and kids and parents. And all of a sudden you sense tension that is going in the wrong direction. Then we look to turn and and blame somebody else, the government, the leaders, the church, um, you know, an ineffective church. And all of a sudden, we're all looking for reasons why my home is in disarray. Why is there dysfunction in my relationship? It's got to be somebody else uh, because, you know, that's that's the nature of that's uh, that's our nature is to look for scapegoats. And then some of us have the audacity to begin to blame God. Uh, Like, where is God? Like, this is not fair. That other person is way more sinful than I am. And look at he or she seems to be blessed. Uh, and we begin to, to blame God. And ultimately at the end, the, the beauty, uh, the, the sinister of a siege, if you will, the incredible genius of a seed of a siege is that once the, the, the township, the people inside are so exhausted, they're, they're so famished, they're starving. Uh, they turn to their captors they raise the white flag, they draw the doors open, and the captors march in with water and with food and with provisions, and everybody celebrates that they're being, they're, they're being conquered because at least they have the basics. So I, I'd like for all of us, I, I know that this is a different message, and I, I, I just felt in my heart, I'm, 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 I have a burden for our families. Dad and mom, grandparents, I have a burden for our kids. My, my kids are still young and, and I am not being presumptuous. I'm not coming to you as somebody who has anything to prove or to show uh, and to, to model here. I'm coming somebody with, with a burden for our, all our kids, our adult kids, uh, for our adult kids that have just little by little, they're, just, they're not interested in God. They, they don't have hunger for God. They're not interested in the church that you criticize. Oh, did I just say that? No, I just, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. I'm, they're, they're not interested. Why would our kids want to come to a church, any church for that matter? When, when, when all, you know, all that, a lot of us make the big mistake of being cynical and critical of God, the church, the leader. Of course, the church is not perfect. Of course, go find one that is and you're not going to find one. Every church has its issues. Every pastor has his weaknesses except me. I'm still trying to look for one. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Not every pastor is humorous, has the humor, the kind of dry, crazy humor. They turn to their captors. Up there, if if you finally found the message where it says, thus is the toxic power of struggle. So what do you do when you're struggling and there's no hope or you sense no hope or you're hungry and a hunger that cannot be satisfied, a thirst that cannot be quenched? What if you're engaged in, in a in a state of poverty, continual poverty, where you live from paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. After a while, that gets exhausting. When you can't even catch up with your bills, and you don't, no matter how hard you try, the, the next month's bills are already accumulating uh, already. Um, poverty that cannot be overcome. Fear that cannot be conquered. What if you live in a state of fear of the future or of tomorrow or of bad news? You can't conquer that fear. What if you live in a famished state, in famine of, uh, of, of, a, of catastrophic proportions, 
with no end in sight. See, we see in the context of this story, in the text itself, that people are in dire straits and desperate circumstances. All hope has been all but abandoned. And their social norms and their social order is crumbling to the extent where not only death and destruction, but the consumption, the consumption, if you will, of the most vulnerable of our children can now literally, literally be embodied by cannibalism. Cannibalism is in the camp. In verse uh, uh, 26 up there, if you find the verses then, uh, this is what uh, it says, as the king of Israel was passing by the wall, as the king of Israel was passing by the wall, thank you, a woman cried out to him saying, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I help you? Where? Where can I get help for you? Uh, from the threshing floor or from the wine press, he, he thought she was looking for provisions. And she says, no, no, my king, he asks. Uh, what, what, he asks, what's the matter? And she says, this woman said to me, give me your son so that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and we ate him. And then the next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she has hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. And as he went along the wall, the people looked and saw that under his robes, his royal robes, he had sackcloth uh, on his body. It's a type of rough a really rough uh, sackcloth that really rubs and makes your skin bleed as a way to show contrition, as a way to show brokenness. Uh, it was a way to, on the outside, many of us look good. We, we look pristine. But on the inside, you're bleeding. You're hurting. Uh, you're in mourning. You're broken. Uh, there is a sense of desperation. How do I fix my marriage? How do I get my kids to love God? How do I... Put this house back in order. How do I see a future when I see none, when all I see is dearth, uh, death, and potential destruction? And, and I have this sense of heaviness. You know why I'm sharing this is because in about three weeks, we have a United Conference, a youth conference, that we've been praying for. Pastor Saul Martinez and our team has been praying for and preparing for all our campuses and, and Kern County and Tulare County. And we're just going to see who God brings. But we have a burden for the next generation. Uh, we have, I'll say that again, we have a burden for the next generation because, because there is something uh, that is very powerful that's happening that a lot of us are not realizing that that is unfolding right before our very eyes. So, um, so I want everyone to consider the possibility, the tragic truth. Uh, just, just I'm going to do a little sidebar, spiritual sidebar for all the grandparents and all the parents here. That the, the potential, the potential of the sad and tragic truth that the current generation, for whatever reason, we tend to consume and cannibalize the next generation. I'll say that again, that our lifestyles are such, the way we live, the way we kind of move forward, not everybody, and I'm not trying to put any guilt trips on anybody. But I can tell you that there's a sad reality that if we're not careful, the, somehow our parents, my, my parents lived in such a way that it was conducive. Uh, for my siblings, for uh, all of my siblings are saved. Not all of my siblings are maybe living to the level of their potential and calling. But my parents did something that was incredible. And then I pray, I pray, I pray that 
that Linda and myself can have our kids grow up and not see uh, another. We've never criticized the church. Uh, my God is my witness. Linda, we don't criticize the church. We don't criticize leadership. We love God. We want our kids to love the church. But I pray that my kids would love to, they grow up and they love the church. Um, I don't know if they'll like some of you guys just by the looks of you. Just you look kind of strange to me and uh, kind of like, uh, but I pray, I, I say this with, with all my heart. And um, there's something I want to just, just share. I, I wrote this because, and I asked the Holy Spirit to help me, um, that, that all of us should be aware, be aware of spiritual infanticide. Um, via unconscious, unintended cannibalism where the present generation consumes pawns and destroys the coming generation. Where our lifestyles and poor spiritual state, where we're very poor, very surface spirituality. I'm talking about us, the parents and the grandparents, um, are such that our children practically are doomed and they have no chance or little chance to embrace a future without bearing the scars and the stains of parental malpractice. Parental malpractice. Uh, our lifestyles, um, uh, our dysfunctions, up there, if you finally find it, our dysfunctions breed destruction in our kids' lives, that our selfishness and our egocentric ambitions, all of us, have in many cases already sealed our children's or our great-grand or our grandchildren's fate. See, we might see ourselves as selfish or self-absorbed, but our kids will be narcissists. They will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God, is what, what Paul says. See, when we when see, when we barely have enough desire and hunger for God. Our children will not hunger or desire God because we as parents have not modeled nor displayed the unmistakable blessing uh, and the shine that comes as resulting when we abide in God's word and we dwell in the presence of God long enough for our faces to glow and our kids to say, what happened to you? Very little do our, maybe our kids or our grandkids find us praying at home. It might be even occasional or from way too distant where they find us reading the Bible or having a, a family devotion. We bring our kids to church so that the church can fix them, so that the church can minister, so that the church will save your kids, so that the church becomes the antidote, the answer of what, what maybe we as parents are trying to, to outsource to somebody else. And it doesn't work that way. And I say this with trembling. I say this because I don't want this to come back and haunt me with our kids. And that's why I say it. With, with a lot of spiritual sensitivity and a lot of spiritual fear of God. Um, our indifferences, uh, our indifference toward God. I'm talking about our generation and for the church and the things of God have breeded apathy and contempt in the hearts of many of our children for God, the church and the things of God. Our personal conceit, pride and prejudice has corrupted and infected the ch our children's soul. Um, our irresponsible, lavish, or lifestyles and, and endless spending sprees have, have pawned and sold out our children or our grandchildren's future because we are spenders of, and we are not good stewards of God's blessings because our, most of us, our parents grew, we grew up poor. So God blessed us with a few dollars and a few dimes and nickels, and we don't know what to do with it. Uh, very few of us have ever developed... Um, um, a budget or discipline or a way to handle money to not just save a few dollars, but invest a few dollars 
and, and have a budget so that you're sober and responsible with the blessings that God gives you so that we have provisions, not only and seed money, not only for us, but for our children and our children's fund, children, should Jesus tarry. And, and I have a, a, a burden. I've already said that, but I cannot say it so many times or so, so often that, that see in Samaria, we now see a city uh, uh, where a desperate cries, the desperate cries of a bereaved mother um, who has just lost her child in a cruel and callous act of cannibalism calls out to the crown, the king's power and the government to help assuage the pain and mitigate this thing of, of a loss that can never be undone. How do you undo the loss of a child, of somebody, a daughter, a son, or children that you love and that somehow little by little have drifted away from God? And, and the worst thing is that they have very little interest no matter how many times dad or mom or grandma, grandfather or grandmother, no matter how many times we try to cajole them, maybe they'll come in Father's Day. Maybe they'll come in Mo on Mother's Day. Maybe if there's a, an event, uh, they might show up to church, but there's no spiritual hunger in their hearts for God. And I'm telling you that unless we, the church, um, um, uh, turn our hearts to God and, and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to a new state of relationship and brokenness and seeking God and moving forward, uh, we have a uh, on on Thanksgiving. I'd like to invite everyone to come to a Thursday, uh, Wednesday night of Thanksgiving, with, where we're going to serve Holy Communion. It's going to be a pithy service, but I, I'd like to invite you because I'm entreating God to to help us uh, have our kids come back and and show thanks to God for the many blessings that God has given us. I'd like to invite you, December the 8th, we're going to have our last Wednesday, the, the 8th, not on the 1st, but the 8th, we're going to have a Wednesday where we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to just move with signs and wonders and blessings uh, and minister to us, the church, and revive the church. It'll be a revival uh, service, if you will, on the 8th, on the, on, the, on the Wednesday, the 8th. I'd like to invite every young man or young lady here to already register yourself, already be part of this youth a conference that'll be happening in three weeks. Let me let me land the plane if I can, because I'd like to ask the Holy Spirit to help me here. That even today in our society and in the heart of our cities, we hear the despondent and the desperate cries of, of the abused and broken children who are the victims of a heartless and godless world and parents who themselves are the victims. Many of us parents, we don't know how to parent because we are the victims of bad parenting. Many of us grew up in dysfunctional homes, alcoholism and brokenness and abuse of every kind of abuse. And so now we're trying to pick up the pieces and somehow learn uh, on the fly how to parent. And I'm not putting any guilt trips on any parent here. I'm not, I'm not having anyone here uh, put a burden on you that's not deservingly yours. What I'm trying to do is have all of us look to God for answers. All of us come back to the altar and every single person look at themselves and be honest with ourselves. Take inventory and ask the Holy Spirit for a new path forward. The God that changed your heart can change the hearts of our kids. The God that brought you out of darkness can bring our kids uh, and our children, no matter what their age and what their stage, that God can bring our kids back to the church or back to his uh, his fellowship and back to grace. How many say amen? Even in our homes, I'm talking about the Christian homes, we hear the cry of discouragement from innocent and broken 
and her children who are the victims of cruel of this cruel world. And, and, and parents that we're not that spiritual, our kids suffer for our lack of understanding and spirituality. Some of us have a very, very terrible or ill-tempered. We're ill-tempered, and especially when we're feeling stress, we pass on that stress to our kids. And that's not fair regardless of the age and stage of our children. We live in a society that is adrift without God, where the innocent and the next generation are paying the price and the consequences of the carelessness, the delusions, and the spiritual delinquency of our generation, the adult generation. The penalty of infidelity in marriages is huge, men. Sometimes women slip too in that area, and, I, and, I, and that, that is a, a destructive a brew for the family when, when men are unfaithful to their wives. The shameless abandonment of millions of, of fathers leaving the home. A child abuse in every form, physical, verbal, emotional, a psych, a psychological and sexual abuse. There's a generational curse of divorce upon divorce, divorce upon divorce. Some folks are like, you have like a line of divorce in all our family. There was one brother, a friend of, the, of a pastor that said that out of 13 brothers and sisters, only his marriage is the only one that does not have one or two or more divorces. Uh, his marriage is the only one that is uh, past the, the test of time. Out of 13 siblings, and I'm not condemning anyone who's gone through divorce. That, that is part of, unfortunately, our cultural uh, uh, disarray and our cultural reality. But divorce uh, uh, consumes, cannibalizes the next generation. You got kids growing up, they don't know who to call dad. Is this my dad or is this my dad? Or is that my dad? Uh, homes that are just just broken from the get-go and our, our kids are are growing up in a in a very in a void if you will we come to church but it's just superficial because we're not digging in I would dare say very few people maybe take the weekly studies and and read them with their families and then we want our kids to grow up and love God and if they don't we indirectly blame the church and I'm not saying the church doesn't have blame that there is a lot of blame to go on. And that's why every year I look for new people to lead this church except me. And we have open applications for every position except mine. Thank you. I don't even know where that humor comes from, Pastor John, but I like it. Yeah, I like it. The penalty of infidelity in our marriages, the shameless abandonment of millions of fathers leaving the home. Child abuse in every way, in every form. The generational curses like divorce, incest. Many of young ladies, many of women, even boys that grow up to be men that were sexually abused by a relative. They were violated. They grow up with that shame and stain and they don't know how to process it. They don't know how to compartmentalize it. So that person carries it, carries that guilt and that shame. Somebody, uh, somebody that I thought I could trust hurt me, uh, abused me, violated me. Listen, I, I'm almost done. I have 17 more points. I'm almost done. Curses, generational curses of alcoholism that runs rampant in many, many of our 
many of our families, many believers today. And I'm telling you, alcoholism is not a salvation issue. It's not. You can be an alcoholic and you can, you can be a son of God. And you're saved. I'm not calling anyone's salvation into question. But I'm telling you, once you give yourself permission to dabble with alcohol of any sort, of any way, you've crossed uh, the Rubicon. You've, you've crossed the bridge. That's probably too far and it's hard to come back. If you can handle it responsibly, you think your kids are? You think that the next generation is not going to go full, full throw? You, 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 you think they're going to have more breaks than you do, more morals than you do, dad and mom, once you hit the bottle and you excuse it? Oh boy, that's not even, it's not even in my notes, but I saw somebody here that I just got me mad. You got me mad and I had to go for it. Just, just here, take that and take that. And if you want another beatdown, I'll see you next Sunday if you want another one like this. Just, just forgive me. Just, just one more minute. Let me, let me insult two or three more people here if I can before we call it a quits. Alcoholism. I'm talking about generational curses like divorce and incest and alcoholism, drug addiction of all kinds. And I'm not just talking hard drugs. I'm talking prescription drugs. The subtle uh, drugs that are more pristine or they're, they're more culturally accepted because because they are prescription drugs that somebody gets addicted and, and pretty soon you lose your balance. You lose your emotional and your spiritual authority in homes where your kids catch you doing something and it's not praying. Your kids catch you doing something and it's not, you're not reading the Bible. And many things that we do in society or they've been done with us, to us, there are, they are unbleachable. There's no bleach strong enough that can, that can cleanse you. There's no eraser that can, that can mitigate or assuage the stain, lift up that stain from the soul of your family or this country. It might be legal, like abortion, but it doesn't make it moral. Many people indirectly, they endorse abortion. And I think it's a stain on this country. It's a stain on the moral, on the soul of this country, allowing millions of innocent um, embryonic hearts that are pulsating, those souls to be aborted under the guise that it's legal. And also many of us turn a blind eye to the millions or of, uh, or of children and teenagers that are sequestered seduced and sold into slavery via human sex trafficking. And the church is in, in many, many ways idle. May the living and the righteous God have mercy on our country, have mercy on our homes and our families, and have mercy on our souls. So Samaria is, societal, is in societal and social disorder. That Samaria was on the brink of total collapse, on the knife's edge of fatally succumbing to one of the worst deaths of all, a death of hopelessness with a sense of utter helplessness. And helplessness is so, uh, so deep and disheartening that it diabolically morphs into sheer hopelessness. Helplessness, like I can't help myself, like the, the man that was for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus says, do you want me to heal you? And he says, I'm helpless. He had learned helplessness, learned helplessness. He learned how to become that victim and, and helplessness leads to hopelessness. 
And hopelessness is the devil's workshop. Young man, young lady, like once you think there's no hope, the devil's got you. Because even though there's a God, hopelessness says there is no God for me. So hopelessness is the devil's workshop and the worst of all the worst of predicaments and conditions. It is the worst. It is worse than paralysis. Hopelessness is. It's worse than paranoia. It's worse than death itself because even in death there is dignity. But in hopelessness, uh, not only all human dignity is lost, but the deadliest of lies, of all the lies, is spawned in the very pit of hell. And it's a bifurcated lie. If you're up there and you have it, if you found it, great. The first lie is that God is out to get me and then forget me. If you find it, that God is out to get me because I've sinned, I'm broken. I've done all these kinds of things, Pastor. God knows it and I know it. And God is out to get me. That's why I'm now paying the consequences. Can I tell you that that is a lie from the devil? God is not to, out to get you. He wants to, <laughs> he wants to bring you in. God wants to forgive you. God wants to redeem you. God, you're still God's son or daughter if you received him in your heart and in your life. And God doesn't, he's not out to get gotcha or get you. God wants to redeem you and bring you back home. How many say amen? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. The, the, the second lie is that the second lie is that God is unwilling or unable to help me. God is unwilling. God's not interested or in helping me get through my pain and failures. The things were so bad that even the king said, King, Second uh, Kings. 633, that the king said, behold, this evil is of the Lord's. A lot of people saying, hey, what's happening to me? God is allowing it or God is causing it. Man, this is God's way of getting back at me. This evil is of the Lord. Uh, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I want to remind everybody that the Bible says that let every man be a liar, but God be true. In 2 Corinthians, it says that even if you're troubled on every side, Paul is saying, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, uh, but not in despair. How many say amen? We might be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We might be cast down, but never destroyed. The word of God tells us that our God reigns in every circumstances. In every situation, God reigns. He rules and he regards every person as precious in God's sight. You are precious in Jesus' sight. Um, there are some verses that I didn't highlight there on in, um, and I'll end with this in Isaiah chapter, um, in Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, it says, uh, verse 14 says, Jerusalem is saying this. Jerusalem says this, that the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. That's what Jerusalem was saying up there. If you find it right after the verses that you, you just, and then God says, never verse 15. Uh, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says this about you. I will never forget you. I will never forget you. See, he says, I have written your name in the palms of my hand. You are always on, in my mind. You are always in my mind, God says. You are always in my mind, just like Jerusalem is on my mind. I want to I lead you. I want to finish this, these verses. 
So soon, soon, parents, your children, your descendants will come back to me. And all who were trying to destroy you will go away. Verse 18, if you finally find it up there, look around you and see, for all your children will come back, will come back to you. All your children. As surely as I live, says the Lord, they will be like jewels and like bridal ornaments for you to display. I want you to see that your children, uh, they will come back to God. I'd like for everyone to believe that. I'd like for everyone, young youth, every young man, every young lady here to believe that you are a jewel in the eyes of God. You are a bridal ornament for God to display for your parents. I, I don't know of more proud parents when, when your kids, adult kids, adult kids come to church. I know that for kids, parents, you have young kids like I do. Uh, I bring them because I beat them uh, into submission. I bring them drag, I drag them out of bed. I'm being facetious, but I'm not. I am. Would you bow your heads? Enough damage, enough damage. Thank you so very much for joining us today on the Lifehouse podcast. I pray and hope this message has encouraged, inspired, and challenged you to grow closer to God. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing here at Lifehouse, visit our website at lifehousechurch.com. That's lifehousechurch.com for more information or consider subscribing and share it with one of your friends and family. Thank you again for being part of our journey, your journey, that will lead you to know God better, grow together, and go serve and make a difference. Thank you again. God bless you. See you next time.